0: Hello and welcome to episode 122 of the Conversations with Ross podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. Thrilled to be joined right now by Ari Stidham. Ari's an actor who's currently appearing on CBS's drama Scorpion. You can follow him on Twitter at Ari Stidham. That's S-T-I-D-H-A-M. Ari, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me. 122. My
0: man. Yeah, that's not bad. I mean, spaced out over five years, but still.
1: Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean. Five years, 122 episodes, five years. That's great.
0: Well, let's start at the beginning, Ari. Tell me what initially attracted you to acting in the first place.
1: Pretty much everything about it. Um, Getting in front of a a large group of people and making them laugh was something that I didn't know I wanted until I did it, and then it was the only thing I could sort of think of. Um, I was in third grade. I did a production of Annie, where I played Sandy the dog and Drake the butler, Um, and I thought, first of all, the presentation of both of these characters like giving the script to me in the program and everything that I read as a third grader, I thought it was really funny that their names were blank the blank. Um, so I just like took <laughs> a lot of pride in that. And I remember making a lot of jokes about that in third grade, um, that I was the only person who played like nouns, um, of, like sort of, that wasn't the joke that I was making. Now I'm smart enough to, to make the joke nouns, but, um, just the butler and the dog, uh, Anyways, I we did the show, and when I was Sandy the dog, I started snapping while the chick was playing any the singing like tomorrow, and everybody started laughing at like me snapping, and I was like upstaging her, which is a total like sort of a dick move (laughs) that I learned shortly after by the director, but it went really well, and that was the moment where I was like, oh, I caused people to be happy because I was young, I didn't realize I was also being a jerk off to (laughs) her, but I was like, well, I want to make people laugh. I want to make people happy. And then I just started going to work on that and figured out the way to do it. Not by drawing attention from anybody else and try to uh, go to school for it as much as I could instead of going to school for regular stuff that everybody else is going for.
0: Acting for just about everyone starts as a recreation. How did it go from a recreation yeah. to a career for you?
1: Well, it went very quickly um, to working with professionals, but I, I don't, I not it wasn't a career. Like I, I'd say my education was sort of um, unorthodox, just in in the way that it uh, it began with me as an apprentice in a Shakespeare company at thirteen. Um, my brother and I were just playing like the page roles and like the young like the young nephew of the the duke roles in these Shakespeare plays that these uh, regional actors who were actors Equity would, would do. Um, so we were working with Equity actors learning about the bard like sort of through our summers and our winters. And then I decided to homeschool so I could like really focus on that. And I really like devoted a, a good deal of time to that, even though it was technically an extracurricular activity. Um, so that's when I sort of got the bug and learned sort of the rules about knowing your stuff before you st- like stand on stage um, and sort of got the respect for the performance. And then, When I was 17, I was lucky enough to have some connections to lead me to meet these showrunners uh, for a show called Huge. I met Savannah Dooley, who is Winnie Holzman's daughter. Winnie Holzman wrote the book for Wicked, and she um, created My So-Called Life. She's an amazing writer. Um, And her daughter, Savannah, had sort of developed a show with ABC Family. She was still writing the pilot. And I had gone to fat camp That's a real person. Um, so she interviewed me because the show is a teen stuff that took place at a fat camp. And when I uh, sort of looked at the project, they had this whole uh, like online national search for the cast of Huge. Um, I called through Actors Access the casting people because I was like, I'm in LA. I don't need to submit a video. I could just drive to you guys because I know you guys are doing sessions. But I didn't have a an agent or anything. I just had an Actors Access account. and Sort of I auditioned and went through the process without necessarily talking to Savannah too, too much. Um, and I got the part uh, of like the main dude. So it's just like that was how I got my, my start because I got me an agent that got me a serious regular credit. that got me a whole bunch of tape, gave me en- like enough money not to have to go back to school, sort of floated me just long enough until Scorpion miraculously pulled me out of uh, my <laughs> apartment above my parents' garage.
0: Now Harvey Guillen came on a few years ago, maybe I don't know, maybe it was a year ago, and he talked oh, about I huge love as well. Harvey. And I asked him yeah. about you and Harvey are obviously both big guys. You're not a typical; you don't look like a typical actor. Do you find that you're yeah. getting fewer opportunities because of that?
1: No, I mean I would argue I would argue the other side of that actually. I'd say that um, a specificity is king as far as like acting goes at this point because if you can put yourself um, in a smaller pond as it is like, instead of being like the funniest guy who is tall and lanky with red hair, you could be like, I don't know, the, the most truthful fat guy or whatever you want to call yourself. (laughs) Like, uh, it's easier to brand within sort of these parentheses of like being a bigger guy or being like a nerdy guy, because being a big guy is just half of it. The other half is like the types of characters you can play and it sort of narrows it down and it's good. It's, it's something that was unintentional for me. Um, but I definitely have seen the rewards of a smaller pond, you know, because I, they don't, they don't call me to play it like, the Ansel Elgort parts you know I'm like I'm like his homie (laughs) who's like oh man you you did really poorly on that test man you gotta focus more on school (laughs) and he's like get out of my face and that that's my one seat, you know (laughs) are the parts that I was going out for like like after huge so like it's just a smaller pond you see those cats around every time you you go to an audition and it's like you can either decide to be like resentful or you could be like, "Yo, I hope one of us gets it. (laughs) like (laughs) every time Harvey would book something over me, I'd be like, drat. I didn't get it, but I know Harvey and I love him and that cat should be work. You know, like there's no reason that my friends shouldn't be working. So it's sort of this, this weird sportsmanship that you can only like sort of know it if you're, if you're in it. Um, So it hasn't been harder. It's actually been easier. For me, I feel like, because I see a lot of friends who who are going through the plight of the ingenue, you know, and they're, they're like, nobody wants to see me unless it's like a, a vampire diaries type of show. And like, nobody wants to like the hot guy to be really funny anymore. So like, I don't know what to do with my stuff. <laughs> and like, you know, it's, it's hard because there's creative people who are really, really gorgeous, but sometimes they just want to look at you and they don't want you to actually do anything
0: which is unfortunate. And sometimes they all just sort of blend together. I mean, so many actresses have come on the show and have talked about how they go to an audition and, you know, these are uh, by all accounts, attractive people. And they go to an audition and there's a hundred people that look just like them that are like perfect blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, skinny, perfect looking people. And they're just like, Oh, I guess I don't have that going for me now. It's like a weird, it's a very weird thing.
1: Yeah. But it's like, why was that ever a thing that you had going for you? That's, I guess that's the perspective that being a fat guy offers me. Is like, Why I could never, ever look at my looks as a way that was like, you know what? People are going to give me free stuff or people are going to be nicer, or I can just have a job that is doing this just like being and not really doing anything, you know, like not to make, not to make it sound like models don't do anything because I do have friends that are models who just like labor over their bodies and labor over like how to be charismatic in front of the camera. And that is a plight. That is a whole job, but I just never thought that that was something that I could be able to do. I also never thought that that was something that like you were told at a very young age, maybe you could be a model before you like grew into any looks of any kind. Like, I think a lot of people get told that, you know, maybe, I don't know. I surmise that a lot of people got told that from their attitude and the way they live or like what it was like for me growing up in Southern California, because a lot of people realize that they might not be the most beautiful person in the room. Um, that's sort of what happens in my periphery every day. It's like all of my friends are 22 and they're realizing like, Oh my God, room to room. There's somebody more beautiful than me. Like, I'm sure there's people going through that as we speak in Los Angeles. Cause there's so many people in Los Angeles. But like, why would you want that to be your thing? Why wouldn't being unique? Why wouldn't being something being like someone who has something to say? Why wouldn't that be a goal? I like, I don't know. I feel like goals are weird too, because you like, you don't know what to what to want. You don't know what to let yourself want. Sometimes.
0: All right, let's shift focus over to Scorpion. Tell me about how this part came to be for sorry you. Sorry
1: for just taking it <laughs> so far. Away. Just, just I grabbed the wheel and we veered. I am so sorry. Okay, the part on Scorpion, Sylvester Dodd, uh, he, uh, human calculator. He is a an anxiousness. He's got high anxiety, he's got OCD, he's got so many phobias, shaking a stick at the phobias wouldn't wouldn't do a thing, they wouldn't even pay attention to the stick. Um, he came to be from the mind of Nick Santora, he, who I think wrote all of his worry that he has as a human being into one character, but also gave like this incredible power to him. Um, so he's he's got a bunch of empathy to him and he's just a whole mess of emotions, but always trying to stay positive because he knows around every corner looms imminent disaster. Um, he's he's plagued with problems, but he's like the funnest character to play on earth. And he's like, I don't know, one of, one of the many
0: members of Team Scorpion. And what did the producers initially tell you about the show when you first got the part?
1: This is a show based on a real person. Uh, this is a show based on the idea that smart people can change the world. Um, and you don't need to be necessarily like a cop or a firefighter or someone who, who needs to go through any specific construct to be a good person. You could be an every person to like make a change and be positive and sort of like change the world, you know, and, um, sort of like it's bringing, it's about bringing awareness about the high IQ people in our everyday lives who might not know how to relate to us because they could actually end up being our saviors. Um, It's about fun. It's about creating a family. I mean, there's a, there's a whole lot, there's a bunch of aspects to our show. Um, It's just a fun action adventure show. They, they told, they, they, we, I heard a lot of different things from a lot of different people because we have so many producers. So there's so many um, different elements to our show because our show is an amalgamation of a lot of different stuff. Um, But basically, it was just the disasters are real and your powers are real and it's all practical. Um, And so that's what we go with every episode is just being as truthful to the text as we can be and being as practical as we can be in these incredibly insane situations.
0: What was your audition process like for this? How many did it take to land the gig?
1: One. um, I... Went in on a Saturday morning at 11 a.m. I got the call the night before to learn the sides. The part was written for an African-American man who was 35 years old. Um, it was the character breakdown that I got. And so I was like, I just got to bring my own thing to this. And I showed up at 11. I did it once. The casting director, who is awesome, Denise niece champion, um said thank you, which is the worst thing you can hear as an actor, because you don't know, it's like, did I do it good? Did I <laughs> did I bring what I wanted to it? Yes, but do I know what she thinks? It's just her and the camera, and she said, thank you, and she let me go, and then later that day, my agent was like, I think they're going to test you, and the next day, I found out that they didn't they didn't need to see me. Just the one time I did it on tape, they looked at it as my test, and then I got the thing the next day, and then we started shooting it on Monday.
0: So, wow. It's like, That's amazing.
1: Saturday, Sunday, Monday. Yeah pretty crazy
0: they didn't make you do any network tests or anything
1: no just the just the one um but that's the i think that's that's the cool thing about our industry is that when you know you know it's not when you know you found the guy you know you found the guy when you know it's time to shoot it's time to shoot when you know the character needs to be cut the character needs to be cut it's just sort of there comes to be a point at the end of every decision, the thing that I'm learning the most with this show is that every every decision needs to be finite in order to move forward. It's pretty it's it's a pretty cut and dry business. So like to be on the other side of it is really
0: cool. When they when they
1: cut when they cut everybody else but you. It's like, oh wow, that doesn't happen.
0: It doesn't happen that rapidly too, to to go in on a Saturday and be shooting on a Monday is pretty exceptional.
1: Yeah, it was pretty crazy, man. <laughs> changed my life in <laughs> in a lot of big ways. I that's when my anxiety really hit.
0: <laughs> I want to ask you about another project, one that you started in, one that you wrote the script for. Tell me about Talon's Rant.
1: Wow. Talon's Rant. The unsung short film Talon's Rant. Um I got in a little bit over my head when I was a very young man <laughs> making a short film called Talon's Rant. Um it's sort of the the funniest inside joke between my writing partner and I, because we've been working together since then. Um, Zach Green is the director on that project. And he, uh, he and I write and produce a radio play monthly called Tales of the Private Dick in Los Angeles. And we released it as a podcast. Um, we actually go live on the fourth. And he, uh, he and I started working together on this short film where the producers just ended up, like, disappearing. And then reappearing a year and a half later, going like, so what's the deal with the project? And we couldn't get a hold of, like, of anybody, and we needed to reshoot, and then our schedules never lined up. So it's just like this little film that we made a long time ago that's probably never going to see the light of day because there's just so much wrong with it. Um, but I, I still work with Zach Green. That's like the way I can talk about it is that I still work with that guy, and he was,
0: he was a director on that project. Was it the first script you had ever written, or at least the first script intended yes. to be shot?
1: Yes, and we and we did shoot it, yes. Um, we shot it in L.A. and in Orange County. Uh, and it was, I mean, yeah, the synopsis pretty much tells the story of what it is. Um, it's like this one stoner kid just decides that he wants to be a pellet, and he falls in love with a stripper, and um, his life falls apart. <laughs> it's like really zany and dramatic and out there, and uh, there's some really great actors. We got like... Erica Rankin, who's an awesome comedy actress, to be in it, and Gabe Notarangelo, who's like this—this really—he um, was on Bunheads on ABC Family, but he's like really a like, classically trained, another really great actor. Um, just people we really liked and dug, uh, but the movie just didn't happen. That's what happens in L.A. You try to make something, and sometimes it doesn't work out. And you know, I sh- there's another short film that I wrote, directed, and starred in, and Jason Mewes is in it, and it's called The Hawk, and that's probably never going to see the light of day either just because you edit something and then it's like well I don't think this is good unfortunately <laughs> you know it's it's hard because you you don't want to release something that doesn't reflect you in the positive light <laughs> It's like if you're still developing yourself it's hard you know just being frank it, it, I'm sorry I'm so
0: sorry for, like, take, taking it to here every time. <laughs> I like Frank. I, I think Frank is good. I was actually involved in a similar thing. I wrote a short. It didn't end up too good. And uh, there is that feeling of guilt, though, of, like, oh, you feel like you let everyone down, even though I didn't end up directing it. You just – you do feel like, oh, this didn't end up the way uh, people thought it would, and it's a bummer. You know, it's it's a big bummer. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, I – the the muscle is finishing it. The muscle is – sort of seeing the thing to completion and then looking at the cut and saying like, well, we did a cut of it. Now it's a whole thing. What do we do with it now? Can we bring anybody to fix it? Can we release it the way it is? You know, I, am I'm sure we are, we're going to release all this stuff eventually, but it might just be like stuff online later, later, later for friends and family to see, you know, people who, who like worked on it. Um, But yeah, it's a, it's a process getting good is a process. You have to take yourself to school
0: if you're not going to school, you know? Ari, tell me about your worst audition experience.
1: Okay. I want to give a new one because I've done... In the interviews this past year, I've I've talked about one that I had for the Farrelly Brothers that just was the worst. But I have another one for a football movie. Okay. I have an audition for this football movie. And the character is like the behemoth who has a huge heart, but he like, you know, like bounces people and like like just bowls people over. He's like, I don't have an ACL in my right knee. I tore it playing basketball or doing a musical. I don't know which one. Um, <laughs> but when I was 18, I tore my right ACL and time is so hard to deal with because you need six months to sort of recover from the surgery like that. And um, I just never had the time to not be able to walk. So I'm going to get the surgery eventually, but that needs to be when I have the time to not walk. (laughs) And uh, so I'm in there and they really like what I'm doing with it. And the director's vibing off me and he goes like, all right, man, if you get this part, are you ready to run? Are you ready to be my guy? Because I'm going to be trying to push you over, dude. And he starts like pushing me. (laughs) And like he gets me up against the wall and he's like Do like do like one of those chairs against the wall. Let's see how long you can hold it. And <laughs> I'm like, you know what do you, you know what I, you know what you mean? Like you know what I mean? Where you become a chair where you're like like leaning up against the wall and you're and you like scoot down so you're like it's as if you're sitting but there's nothing beneath you. You're supposed to like you know you know what I mean, right? Yeah. Like a squat but up against the wall. Um he's like, Let's do the scene, let's do the scene, let's do the scene. The scene, man, is three lines, okay? His character does not speak much. The scene is the line, oh, man, the line, just pass him the ball. And the third one is, you can do it. We all believe in you. And I'm sitting there in the, in the squat, and he can't find his script for the first 30 seconds of this scene, so I'm just, like, waiting for him to do the scene with me in this squat, and he's, like, yelling at me, and then he goes, you know... I don't really know if, if you're right for this. It doesn't mean like you really needed it. And I go <laughs> I go <laughs> well, you know, I actually I don't have an ACL in my right knee. And I you know, I don't know if I can really be running and jumping on people. I don't know how safe that is. I don't know if I can really be your guy and give you two thousand percent. I can make it look good for the cameras, you know, but I don't wanna I don't wanna falsify, you know, where I'm coming from if this is like a guerrilla film and you want to shoot it super real, I don't know if I'm down to get hurt for this movie. And he was like, okay, see you later then. <laughs> it was just dead silence, and I had been wearing this giant leather jacket that was, like, green and, and leather because it was, like, a Letterman jacket, and I, like, hung it on a chair next to him when we were really starting to get into it, so he was just giving me the death glare as I grabbed my jacket next to him, and I was, like, sweating because I did all that, you know, all that bullshit that he made me do. Um and like I was just like leaving I don't I don't remember the name of the project. I think it was something entitled. And like I remember calling my agent being like, I think it went really well <laughs> like just lying. <laughs> Saying I think it went really well.
0: Right, why are you <laughs> lying to your to agent at that point? Why why lie to the agents?
1: <laughs> it was like, I don't want him to think it was a total failure. It was like at that <laughs> moment <laughs> At that moment of embarrassment that most actors <laughs> sort of get at and stay at for a little bit, I was there for a couple of years where I was just like, I wanted to think that I'm doing okay, like, I wanted to think that I'm not freaking out after every audition if I like don't nail it. Um, but it was it was at a it was at a very funny time in my life, and um, that was probably the worst audition experience because
0: it was just like
1: so. Physically demanding, and he was uh, like such a character. I didn't know how to how to handle myself.
0: Did booking Scorpion change the type of things that you go out for now? Are those auditions a thing of the past?
1: No, 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 no. I every project is different. Um, I think that's the thing that a lot of people get lost in. They think, oh, I do this job, and this is like the job that defines me. So everything that I do now, I can act on it as if I'm acting on Scorpion, but. You know, that's not the truth. Um, so, you know, there, there's some difficulty to get to like a sitcom type of performance. Um, but comedy is really easy for me to get to, like broad comedy. So I've been sort of living in that world in my off time. I did uh, an episode of Con Man, which is like very stylized and funny um, with Alan Tudyk. So that was really great. And uh, to sort of sing my teeth in material like that is easier than, you know, something that is uh, a bit of a, I don't know, medium change inside of the TV show. You know, there's different ways that people work. So I, I'm i confident in my abilities, but it, it hasn't been the easiest thing on earth. Auditioning is always hard. There's nerves.
0: Would you do anything differently in hindsight about your career? Would you change anything? Gosh,
1: no, man. I, Oh, no. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'd be a happy man if all I did was Scorpion. I know I do a, a lot of other stuff um, in my life, but... I mean, Scorpion's the greatest thing. And it's like a lot of work, but it's the right type of work. And I, I, I couldn't be happier. I wouldn't change a thing. I'm 22, and I'm on this show. I, I can't believe
0: it. You've wanted to be an actor since you were a little kid, since you were in like a third-grade yeah. play. And now you're a professional yeah. actor. You're a series regular on a show. Is being a working actor what you expected it to be?
1: Yeah, man. It really is. It's normal. I mean, I... I still wake up and feel unfulfilled, even though I am fulfilled because that's what human beings do you know, like start to take it there again, but it's just that i'm i'm not i'm still ha- I'm like still happy, but at the same time it's i uh, you need to make everything make make sense to you you know it doesn't get that doesn't get easier like like motivation doesn't get easier, and so I still have a lot of stuff to work on, but as far as an artist as far as like a professional actor, are you kidding me? this is insane I couldn't ask for anything better it's like the, like the, the greatest gift on earth.
0: Um, yeah, I'm super great. You've been listening to Ari Stidham. Ari's an actor who's currently appearing on CBS's drama Scorpion. You can follow him on Twitter at Ari Stidham. That's S T I D H A M. Ari, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much for having me.